0: I want to give a little warning uh, for this morning's sermon. Today is going to get a little heavy. It's going to get a little heavy. Um, At this church, we value the Word of God. We don't sidestep verses. um, we, We work our way through them, trying to understand, placing them in their context, but also understanding that this is God's Word for us today as well. And if you've been with us, you know we're working through 1 Corinthians, um, and we are going to come upon um, one of our speed bumps in this series, and that's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're not going to sidestep 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to work our way through it together. But I want to give a disclaimer that there is, in my time of ministry and the churches and the groups of Christians that I've worked with, there's no one else I'd rather work through a difficult text with than you all. This is one of the most loving churches that I've ever experienced and especially been a part of. Um, and I know that this is Christ's body and that the Spirit is here with us as we work through this text. If you're visiting this morning, come back next week. <laughs> come back next week. We're glad you're here. And like I said, that carries to you. You will not find a more welcoming, uh, more welcoming body of Christ, and one that takes the Bible seriously, But this this morning is going to be a little bit different than our normal Sundays. Some shocking information has been revealed to our little church here, or about our little church here in Corinth, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So this passage takes place, the story takes place in the ancient city of Corinth. The early ADs, a small group of Jesus followers, meets in a city that would have looked something like this. The church was established by the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament. And Paul is sending a report, um, and the report is what we call 1 Corinthians. And it's original, it wouldn't have been in a codex like we have here, this technology that we have. It would have been a letter, we're reading somebody's mail, or in this case a report, and Paul is reporting about some disturbing things that he's hearing about the, the, church of, of tr- uh, the church of Christ, of Jesus' followers, that meets in this city. So we've already discussed some of the things that Paul wants to address about quarrels and disunity that is available here at this church. But do you want to know what is at the core of all the issues that we can find in 1 Corinthians? Well, it's Pride pride. See, pride is an insidious thing. It can be seen by everybody except the person who suffers from it. In the Corinthians, they see themselves as these holy giants, when the reality is Paul calls them holy infants instead. And the reason pride can be diagnosed for this church in Corinth is because of the things that they are allowing to happen within their own walls which leads us to the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read just the first part of this for us. And as I read it, or as you read along, I want you to imagine Paul saying this with a controlled but a very present anger. Starting in verse 1. You know, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. You should be mourning. You should have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. So there's sexual immorality in this church. The Greek word that Paul uses that's translated sexual immorality here in Greek is the word porneia. Porneia, you can already see where Uh, Some of our English words are derived from the Greek version of this word, where we get our word porn and pornography from. Also in the Greek, this uh, is right here is also present. Not the word is, obviously, but in Greek, it is the active mode of the verb, meaning that Paul is addressing an ongoing sexual relationship between a man and his father's wife, which we can presume is this man's stepmother, not his biological mother. And this relationship is repulsive to Paul. And seemingly everybody else who is around in the city, because he even says that even the pagans don't tolerate this kind of relationship, which is actually really telling, because the Roman Empire is notorious for their sexual vices. And yet they can't even tolerate a relationship like this. Why? Because during this time, this kind of relationship would have been categorized as illegal. It's illegal. And people today still see this as a taboo. Certainly incest, relationship with our biological family, but even our non-biological, but still have a relationship, a family relationship with them. It's shocking. It's jolting. It doesn't feel right. But if you read this passage closely, it's not the sin itself that Paul wants to drill down on. He says, you know that this sin is bad. I don't have to tell you that. Everybody around you know that this is bad, that this is scandalous. But that's not the point that I'm writing you. Rather, Paul cannot tolerate the church's attitude toward the sin. He says that the church should be mourning over the sin, as every church should be doing over all sin, weeping and mourning. But instead, this church in Corinth, with their sweeping arms of freedom in Christ, that this man has been liberated by Christ and can do what he wants, are now turning in on themselves and choking this church. Here's why this matters. This problem, it permeates time and culture, and it's impacting us even today. We pride ourselves in our culture of being open, being progressive, being tolerant, being non-judgmental. And I'm not just talking about the world. This has crept into the local church as well. We have what I like to call a canon within the canon, and that is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Which we've misinterpreted to say, Hey, if you don't judge me, I won't judge you. Got a deal, right? And when our arms are outstretched so far and so wide, To include and accept every type of person and lifestyle and choice, those arms begin to turn back on themselves and choke us. Let me give you two examples. I'll give you one extreme example of how this is present in the world, and then I'll give us a more modern example and how it's connected to the church. The first extreme example Joe Rogan, you may not be familiar with him, but he hosts a popular podcast, The Rogan Experience. On his podcast, he had a man named Sam Harris. This was a couple years back. You may not know Sam Harris. He is um, a very popular American author, philosopher, and atheist as well. And Harris is having this conversation with Joe Rogan, and he's telling a story of an experience that he had. He was speaking at a conference of executive directors of uh, corporations in Silicon Valley, one of the most progressive cities in the nation and even the world in some sense, and Sam Harris is talking about this tolerance movement and how it's beginning to actually eat itself and how it is outrageous and insane that we are having and being forced to agree with and accept all forms of ideologies, no matter how wild they may be, and Harris in this talk specifically, he's talking about the gender identity and how serious of an issue this becomes whenever we begin to deny even some of the most foundational truths that we hold on to, such as biology. Now, I want to just pin something up here, that this isn't some cryptic Christian worldview that we're trying to maintain in a modern world. This is Sam Harris, the atheist, who's making these, these arguments to CEO directors of Silicon Valley. But His reason and his talk are not the point of the story. Here's the point. After giving this presentation, Sam Harris is approached by a gentleman in the crowd. This gentleman approaches Sam Harris and says, Harris, you don't realize how big of an issue this actually has become. In my corporation back home, HR is actually working with a man right now who identifies himself as a cat and is putting litter boxes in the bathrooms, in the corners of the bathrooms, because that's how he identifies. And this man was not joking. He was not laughing. And listen, I'm not trying to build a straw man argument with this example, nor am I trying to belittle the genuine feelings individuals have regarding their identity. This is a serious, complex issue that we have to address seriously. What I am trying to answer, though, at least in part, how did we get here? How did this happen? What caused us to get to this point? And I think a part of it, if I'm just going to speak to Western culture, us as Americans, I think a part of it is we have become extremely individualistic and independent. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be an extremely hurtful thing when you grow up thinking that you are responsible solely for yourself. You know, the research has already been conducted. The greatest virtue of today's generation, it's not love, it's not, it's, not, it's not love and it's not honor. The greatest virtue of today's generation is autonomy. Meaning, don't you dare tell me how to live my life and what to think, and I won't tell you how to live your life and how you should think. Meaning, and the this shift—the this shift is so interesting to me. Because before this point in history, we've always under, we've always understand that the beginning of wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, or if you're not a Christian, if you don't hold God as divine Creator, you at least understand wisdom comes outside of yourself, that it comes from the culture, that is absorbed. That's something you obtain from experience that you grow in. But that mindset is long gone. Truth is now found from within. It's just like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. That's where truth comes from. So let's review. Bring ourselves back together. The church in Corinth has a man that's involved in a scandalous sin. And instead of mourning or even addressing this behavior the church in Corinth responds with, look at us. (laughs) We are so tolerant. We are so accepting and progressive. But Paul wants them to realize that within such a community, a community like this, the members, they are called to take active responsibility for one another's lives. For the spiritual wellness and wholeness of the community. They are God's covenant people. And they can't delude themselves into thinking that the caring thing to do is to be infinitely non-judgmental and inclusive. That is a demonic lie. And it allows terrible, cancerous abuses to continue to go unchecked within a community. Let me give you a modern example, one that's connected to the church. Only very recently... Has the church acknowledged the instances of sexual abuse of women and children done by church leaders and members? If we're to understand Paul to the Corinthians, the church, it should name such violations for what they are, should exercise swift and severe punishment and discipline upon the offenders, but that's often not been the case. Instead, these actions are cloaked with silence and secrecy. And we shouldn't. We would be wrong to limit our our concern here just to sexual immorality. Paul actually lists a handful of things towards the end of chapter five that should have equal attention. And man, won't it be a day, a great day, when the church finds the moral courage to confront and discipline things such as greediness, and idolatry, and perpetrators of violence and drunkenness. Paul believes that such offense, offenses like this should be responded to with expulsion and removal. That's the discipline, expulsion and removal. Stick with me. He actually says at the very end, not 15, I meant to correct that, chapter 5, verse 13, to purge the evil person from among you. Wait, 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 wait Wait a second. I thought the church was supposed to be a hospital, not a courtroom. I thought we were supposed to be a place of acceptance, of love, of grace. Peyton, haven't you stood up on that stage and said that Jesus accepted all kinds of people? That he didn't love them for where he wanted them to be. He loved them right there in that moment. So what am I supposed to do with that? And if you feel that way, I hear you. I hear you. I really do. This is not an easy text to read. It's not an easy text to digest. It's certainly not an easy text to preach. (laughs) But we just take a moment as Jesus' body, as followers of him, just to consider what Paul is implying here. You see, the reason the process of removal and renewal, the reason that that's considered an act of love instead of an act of hate is because of its designated purpose. Imagine it like this. Imagine a surgeon comes up to you with a scalpel and he says, I need to cut you open because there is something nasty and ugly growing inside of you and it's killing you. You would probably consider that good news. It's not going to be comfortable. It's certainly going to be painful, but it's good news. And I think that's the attitude that Paul comes to them with whenever he continues and says, so when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ is present, here's how you discipline. You hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Some of you I lost. (laughs) You're just like, I, that, I was with you until, right around Satan and the destruction of the flesh. Now I think I'm checked out. I don't know what to do with this anymore. It's okay if you feel that way. This actually has a simple understanding. It's just cloaked in frightening language that we don't use and understand today. So we probably get lost in that destruction of the flesh part, but you can actually understand that in light of what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, where he says that those who belong to Jesus Christ, which is us, which is this church, which is this man who's involved in this sin, that they have crucified the flesh, destroyed the flesh, with its passions and its desires. So what Paul hopes is that the church's response to this man's vice action, he hopes that it will actually lead to his fleshly passions and desires being put to death. He wants this man and the church to find renewal, to find restoration. In all societies, they do this. A quote, uh, a string of t- quotes from William Barclay. He's a biblical theo- theologian, but he also speaks about justice and societal justice, and maybe it'll shine some light on this issue. He says it this way To shut our eyes to offenses is not always the kind thing to do, it may be actually damaging. It has been said that our own security against sin lies in our being shocked at it. Yet discipline should never be exercised for the satisfaction of the person who exercises it, but always for the mending of the person who has sinned and for the sake of the church. So, in this sense, discipline is a communal act in the realm of the Spirit of God, and the church, with tears in its eyes and much personal fear and trembling, approaches the individual and says, we love you. We love you. And because we love you, we are willing to do the hard thing. And we hope and we pray that this will bring you to repentance, that you will become healthy Some of you listening might still feel like this is wrong. Maybe you find yourself thinking right now, you know what, this is exactly why I've given up on the church. Why I don't have anything to do with them. They're so judgmental. And listen, it's not my sole responsibility to convince you otherwise of that. But I do want to show you what's behind this story and what Paul is addressing here in this text. And you can actually see it in its full picture in the next report from Paul the follow-up letter in 2 Corinthians, which actually talks about some of this issue. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if anybody has caused grief, like this man, he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. I want to stop at that for just a second and tell you why that verse matters before we get into the meat of it. You see, the church is the body of Christ. We've talked about that this entire series. We function together. We work together. There is this misnomer that what you do in the privacy of your home, in the secrecy of your life, that it doesn't affect the rest of us out here. The problem with that idea is that we live in this thing called a society, And what you do in the privacy of your home, in the secrecy where nobody else sees, what you do there makes you you. It shapes you. It forms you. And then that version of you comes out here and interacts with the rest of us. No, no, no. What you do in public or in private, it affects us, the body of Christ. So, Paul continues. So, the punishment inflicted on him, our man, by the majority, listen, that's sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Because that's not what we want. That's not the purpose. We want renewal, we want restoration. Listen, we don't want to become like the rest of the world that categorizes you as that kind of person and then does everything in its power to strip you of community and power and worth. No, no, no. We want renewal. We want restoration. And then we want to bring you back in. And then he closes out. So we'll close out here. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Now pay attention right here. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The Bible describes Satan as a schemer. In Greek, that word is schemata. It means to plan or to strategize. And the devil has plans, some really good plans. And at the top of those plans to destroy the church is to destroy it from within. Here's the reality. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. We stumble around this world sinning and bringing sin into the world. We mess up. And we don't mess up any lighter or less than this man or the people in this book or the people in this world. The difference is that we are here every single week seeking renewal. We take the Lord's Supper, recognizing that I can't do this on my own. We read God's Word because we see it as truth that applies to me and it's shaping and forming me into a new creation. We sing songs to declare our brokenness to God, and to seek mending in music. We pray on behalf of individuals, on behalf of the community, on behalf of ourselves. We are seeking renewal. But the devil, here's what the devil is going to do. He's going to find the crack in each of our individual hearts. And in that crack, he is going to plant the seed of bitterness. Of hatred. Of lust. And he's going to hope that that thing will grow in secrecy. And then you want to know what he trusts? The devil trusts that the community of believers, that they are not going to shine light on that sin. That they won't won't acknowledge it. Allowing it to grow into this divisive and corrupt reality that will kill us from the inside. I believe God is waiting for a church who takes the truth of God seriously, which means it takes sin seriously. And let's not be one of those churches that stays away from the sinner, but let's also not be a church that allows and tolerates sin to live in our midst. Let's not be a church that forgets that Jesus died so that this body, right here in this building, so that we would be a light for a very dark world. That when people came here, they found healing for their brokenness. They found repentance for their sin. They didn't find another social club that just accepts them the way they are and doesn't expect any form of transformation to take place. I personally believe that the world is waiting to see a church that takes the word of God seriously and therefore takes sin seriously. Seriously, and therefore shows the power of the gospel in all of its forms. Once we confess that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, then we must recognize that we are not free to do whatever we want. We don't get to invent our own standards. We are not free to live off of our desires. We are bound to a a relationship of obedient faithfulness to Christ. And that's a standard we don't hold the world to. And those from the world that come and visit this church, we don't hold them to that standard. But we are incredibly serious of holding this body to that standard. Can we be that church? The elders think we can be. The leadership here thinks we can be. But here's what it requires. It requires each of us to take a genuine deep dive into our own hearts to identify the darkness that lives there and is growing there and to shine light on it to not allow the darkness of our hearts to grow in secrecy I want to end service this way I've been wrestling with these verses for a few weeks now (laughs) can't tell now it's your turn (laughs) now it's your turn i'm going to ask all of us to close our eyes just bow our heads together first of all thank you so much for staying (laughs) not walking out thank you so much i i love this church and our honesty with ourselves and with the text secondly would you allow the spirit of god to do his work in your life right now Maybe this is the day. This is your moment. At this church, we are going to preach the entire and full counsel of the scriptures. In fact, this is so important to this church, it's actually written in our covenant, that we will be people of God's word because in them we find life. And to the degree that we apply them, it's to that degree that we will be healthy, that we will be what those around us need us to be. So Father, we ask by the power of your Spirit that you would do your work. For those who don't know you, God, may they come to see the tremendous love that you have for all people by the death of Jesus on the cross for them. And Father, for those of us who are the church, we ask that you will impress on our heart all that you want us to be for your glory. Father, if there's encouragement or if there's conviction, God, bring it on. And we pray that we will be the kind of church that those on the outside say they practice what they preach and the truth, it's on display and we, we see Jesus. We ask it all, in Jesus' name, so that He would be famous, so that He would be known. And God's people said, Amen.